So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Feature Creep, colon. Built in microwave, semicolon. Uh, watercolor. Yeah, which is like a thing Ned's been doing lately and a thing that I've always loved to do ever since I was a little kid. I never grew out of it. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't know that I... Yeah, well, I can't say I never grew out of it. I think I I failed to latch onto it as a child and now as an adult, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, you have attachment issues with watercolor. Yeah. Uh, but before we get there, uh, <laughs> welcome to our podcast. I'm Ned. I'm Meg. And uh, you can, if you want to reach out to us and let us know your thoughts or ideas about this episode, um, you can email Dana, D-A-N-A at fcbm.io. And she is our uh, the CEO and founder of this podcast. And she will get your email processed and sent to the appropriate person. Um, you can also like go to our website, fcbm.io, where you can also listen to this podcast for free without advertising. Um, and with minimal tracking, I think we still use a Google tracker. Um, that's going away, though, because they've been sending me a message about how yeah. they, they, I need to upgrade to a new proof, profile. And it just kind of occurs to me that maybe I don't give that much of a fuck. Um, right. And maybe we should just take it off. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. But okay. um, in the meantime... Uh, we're going to talk about watercolor. So we are, yeah. um, uh, it's my favorite, it's not only my favorite, uh, like medium. If I had to, if I, if I had to go to a desert Island and I was only allowed to take like one, one type of artistic supplies with me, it would be watercolor paints and, and paintbrushes that are suitable for watercolor. Uh -huh. Wouldn't that be a horrible irony? Oh and, you know, like house painting brushes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Should have been more specific. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I have like, I have a bunch of brushes that I can use interchangeably because I, at the time that I bought the brushes, I didn't have any money. So I bought like acrylic slash watercolor. Gotcha. But yep. you can get really, really nice brushes. Yeah. For you can pay quite a lot of money actually for, yeah. I recently um, bought a $10 brush. Um, a mm -hmm. size two Princeton something or other. It's synthetic. It's like synthetic sable or something like that. Okay. Um, but uh, I couldn't. I I know they use when they they like to use the word natural, but it's like natural means some dead animal, right? And you know your alternative, of course, is uh, plastic. So it's sort of like uh, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is here. Right. <laughs> um, Hmm. But anyway, I uh, all the synthetic one was also cheaper, so I was like, okay, I mean, ten dollars for a paintbrush that I wasn't totally sold on the whole process in the first place. Do you know right. I, how I got into it? Was um, our previous episode when we were talking about the Dungeon Twenty Three thing? Yes. Um, I got into it because I wanted to add color to my dungeon maps that I was drawing every day in my yeah. journal, and. Um, I looked at some options and one thing that people often use are like alcohol markers, which do like a nice like wash and you can do quite a lot of um, pretty cool different colored gradients and stuff. But mm -hmm. um, I was I had some and I just was like disappointed with like how 
Um, I just kind of wanted it to feel like looser and I wanted a little more variability in my color and my experience. Yeah. And so I just was like, oh, well, I'm just going to buy this like $5 Prang school watercolor set and see how it sure. goes. Yeah. And it turns out um, the Prang watercolors are really good. They're like very saturated. <laughs> like yeah. they're really deeply saturated. <clears throat> like they're, you know, there are crappy watercolors out there, but the Prang ones that but lots of people might know from school are are pretty good like they have pretty good reviews um because they're I, nice. they're not like they're not like professional in the sense that they don't maybe have um some of the properties that like really advanced watercolorists might be looking for um right like you may if you have no if you have no experience working in watercolor you will not know what you're missing right you won't know what you're missing like they they may not have like the light fastness that like people look for like mm -hmm. archival like masterworks or whatever um sure but they're quite good and like all the reviews i read online like lots of people who do watercolor are like oh yeah no these are great um turns out turns out they're great right um, that's great yeah so uh yeah so i've been using that um I mean, since then, I've gone down the rabbit hole of, like, learning about all the fucking ridiculous shit that people can, like, that you can buy. Like, you can spend, it seems like for professional watercolor, it's about, the price is about $1 per milliliter of, um, oh. per milliliter of, like, liquid, or, like, not really liquid paint. It's, like, it it's tube paint. Like, it's, like, yeah. paste, basically. Yes, it's, like, toothpaste. Yeah, it's, like, toothpaste. <laughs> Tiny, yeah. tiny, yeah. tiny, tiny toothpaste. <laughs> Although one thing I want to point out right away that was really confusing to me when I was first looking at like different kinds of things is like I was like, oh, you can buy so you can buy pans of watercolor, which is mm -hmm. to say that it's like hard. Like that's probably what most people are used to. It's like a dry you, cake. Yeah, it's like a dry cake. When you get your um your praying water set, that's kind of what it is. It's like this sort of like goopy dry cake in there. Um, mm -hmm. they've, the, I think the Prangs changed their formulation since we were kids. Um, it's now called like, I forget what they call it, like wet or something. Like it stays wet. Like it has some, oh. it has some, um, binder in the in pigment, pigment yeah. that kind of keeps it a little bit soft. Um, I don't know that that really matters. Uh, like people talk about the quality of the cakes or whatever, but anyway, the pan, the pan, you can kind of get like, you typically you can buy watercolors in pans or you can buy tubes. And the thing that people I or that I didn't realize was that a it's cheaper by volume to buy it in the tubes, and b you can just squirt the tube out into any pan that you have that's empty, and it yeah. will dry and harden and be and just like make the your cake. own little squiggly cake. Yeah, yeah. and so getting yep. them pre-panned is like not really that important. My, I suppose if you're like, oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of nowhere and I immediately need to like sure. set up a painting situation and uh, I'm just going to grab the cakes because it's, I can't even think of that being more convenient than getting the tubes. I, I don't know. I don't know. The tubes are great um, and you can have them in a pan. And what I did is I, I think we talked about this is like I got an old empty compact that had like an eyeshadow thing with a couple of wells mm -hmm. in it mm -hmm. I just put the paint right in there. And yeah. now I have my own custom little travel pocket whatever kit i love that yeah it works that's great. so fun and in the end i thought that was too big and so i ended up using a little um uh a business card holder that's like yes. a clamshell kind of uh-huh and then in one side i just squirt blobs of paint until and let them dry and now i can just dab on them because i don't 
this is probably not practical for like painting large paintings, but I'm sure. just doing like color highlights in a journal where I just need a little bit to like dab in there. I'm not trying to do like right. big color washes. Obviously, your usage at home is going to be different. Depending, but right, you're kind of doing like almost like um, like minor shading or like line work mm-hmm. in the color, right? Yeah, like as opposed first, to right. Like first, I draw it in a black waterproof pen ink. Well, in Le Pen, mm-hmm. in our favorite, mm-hmm. in our favorite pen, ink. in our favorite pens ever. Yeah, um, I draw it in a Le Pen, and then. Um, which is just like a, it's kind of got a technical pen tip. And then uh, once that's dry, which is pretty quickly, like moment. Yeah, they dry pretty quick. Yeah. Um, then I then I go back and recolor everything with watercolor, which is usually just like coloring in a little box, a bright color or like, you know, filling out like if there's a wall in the dungeon, I might make it gray or brown depending on my mood and, you know, the theme I'm going for. But um, yeah, yeah, no, it's super fun. I love that. Yeah. So it's a really it's. I find it, and the other thing that really surprised me is that the watercoloring in the um, the Hobonichi, uh, the blank Hobonichi book that mm-hmm. I have, the journal, mm-hmm. um, that paper is amazing. Like it takes a watercolor really well. Yeah, um, it definitely. You can't do like classic watercolor techniques where you like wet the paper and do a big wash and mm-hmm. all of that. Eventually, eventually, you're gonna get through the paper. But if you're just looking to like add a color layer, like it, it's it works really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. I have always loved the look of um, black ink line drawing with watercolor as the, as, as the, the color that gets added. So I like the style of how it looks and I like the ways that you can make gradients Mm -hmm. and like ombres and, um, and I love how watercolor layers. Yes. Yeah. I this is like really new to me. I didn't really I my experience of watercolor was always like in the classroom where it's like you don't actually have time to let it but like when you're doing the the instructional watercolor thing like mm-hmm. you don't actually get time to let it dry. Yeah. And so you're just wet on wet until you're done. Um and you're lucky if you got a piece of actual watercolor paper. Um right. which if you're not at all familiar with watercolor typically um, the reason that I think people use watercolor paper or one of the reasons is that it can absorb a lot of water. Um, the fibers are, I think, a little bit longer so that they don't um, like if you've ever gotten a piece of printer paper wet, you know how quickly it just sort of dissolves. Yeah, it, it falls apart and it wrinkles like crazy. Yeah. So watercolor paper is much more resistant to that. And so you can it can take quite a bit of water. It, it doesn't it still will warp. Um, Mm -hmm. when you get it wet but oftentimes the people the way they deal with that is they just get the whole piece of paper wet first yeah and so it's very even and then they and then they apply paint to it but then you let it dry and then you can paint over in layers and that i this is like all new to me because i was just like watercolors are funny they just kind of blend together and make you know Uh, yeah yeah there's i think too like a lot of um watercolor paintings that are real large rely on the use of negative space so there's like you paint around holes in the surface that you leave blank so that anything that would be you know like i don't know like flowers that are in a still life with daylight or something the daylight would be highlighted as areas of the paper that you leave blank so that it's the same shade as Mm -hmm. the paper white or right right your highest white highlights are just empty space 
Yeah. And like that gives it you get it to, to me like to my like non art historian, somewhat untrained. eye, I look at that and it ve- it feels very impressionistic to me because it's what you're not painting that makes the difference. Right. Right. And that's a really different way to paint with watercolors from painting where like we were just talking about where you layer it purposefully mm-hmm. and maybe don't leave any negative space or do. But <clears throat> you're you're like using separate layerings of color in between it drying to build up the pigment on the page. And you can get like this great variation and you can layer colors on top of other colors and get new colors. And you can do all kinds of like kaleidoscopic stuff with yeah. um watercolor because it's so translucent and so uh i really enjoy working with it because there's just such a huge range of variability of what it looks like like an oil painting always looks like a fucking oil painting yes right and they're beautiful and they have like a lot of life and like richness of the pigment and depth and things like that Mm -hmm. with the way that the light plays but i don't know like for me i just don't find it as pleasing to look at or as variable as what you can achieve with watercolors and there's so many different styles that you can accomplish with watercolor. Um, I don't know. I just love it. And uh, I love, um, I love the, like you were saying, the portability of it. You can just take them with you in this tiny little like pocket sized travel kit that you can DIY on your own. Take a tiny little paintbrush with you. You can get them. And then um, just like a little pad of paper, like this Tomoe river paper is amazing. Like you were saying, and it's just like, it's so um, it's so strong mm-hmm. that you could keep a little sketchbook of like ideas for making bigger paintings too. I mean, there's just like so many things you can do with it. You can't carry around a tiny little like canvas and oil right. paints in your pocket. No. Um, it's, well, no, I mean it, the oil painting. It's it's a whole different ballgame, right? And right. I think one thing that I read about oil painting was that. Um, or one of the takes that people seem to have about it is that it's uh, the colors. Oftentimes when you, um, when you take the color from the paint and you put it on the canvas, Mm -hmm. when it dries, it doesn't really change. Ah, yeah. So like watercolors definitely um, shift a lot in their sort of intensity from when you first paint it to when it dries. Um, Mm -hmm. And acrylics are a little bit like that, where it's like you paint, you know, you take your paint, you put it on the canvas and you see a particular red. When it dries, it's not going to be quite that same red. Um, right. And so I think um, if you're really, you know, interested in being color accurate and doing these other things, and that's obviously a very important factor. Um, and I think that's where watercolor struggles a little, or, or why I mean maybe that's why it gets this particular characteristic right like it's this very like a lot of the watercolor art that I like is like you were saying like it's quick and sort of whimsical a little bit yeah. like it's like might be like a quick line sketch in black ink and then over and then colored in it's just like the impression of some yeah, colors very like the, the thought exactly. of colors like yeah. here's a little this is like it's a it's like a suggestion yes yeah yeah. <laughs> as opposed to like yes well, an authoritative <laughs> like when we were talking about the um uh what's it called the ver- verisimilitude of things mm-hmm. like it has a quality to it that lends verisimilitude if someone's very good with watercolors which is almost more impressive right right because yes. you're looking at it and you're like that's not the thing but also it really captures a wonderful rendition and gives me the strong idea of whatever that is 
Um, yeah. Yeah. When we were down in Yuma at the start of the um, pandemic, I yeah. painted a little picture of a Corona beer bottle with uh-huh. um, the coronavirus in lieu of the little crown logo. Yeah. And um, I had it on the fridge <laughs> and it came out really good. <laughs> but it's awesome. like very impressionist. That, like, yeah. it, there's a lot of negative space because I had all the light glinting off of the bottle. So like right, right. it has this sort of translucent quality with like the beer inside and then the yeah the light shining off the exterior of the glass bottle it's very cute but it like it was something i just kind of like whipped out in a couple of minutes because right, i right. i don't know because i was like confronting my own mortality uh-huh or something like that yes yeah <laughs> needed an outlet for it uh, uh yeah but yeah, I can't imagine that the that that subject matter would be represented quite as charmingly if it was like an oil painting right. <laughs> or right. or even an acrylic, which I think yeah. would make it kind of cartoony. Yeah. Um in a way, but like like I have a uh I have a poster in my living room um from one of the Toadies tours and it's like a signed um screen print of one of their posters and uh-huh. Uh, it's really beautiful and it also has sort of the quality of like um well because it's screen printed it has a very similar quality to like acrylic on something and so i made a frame for it with acrylic paint that was deliberately messy to match the style of the screen print yeah and um and it came out looking really good but that is like situationally the the right choice for a frame for that painting because it like Mm -hmm. matches and the texture of the paint is achievable with acrylic in a really easy way that right right would never be achievable with watercolor that would look really strange yeah watercolor Um, you can't can't build up um watercolor in the way that you can like oil or acrylic because yeah. it just becomes sort of chalky at some point mm-hmm. because of the yes. nature of the binder and the pigments are such right. that they're more they're almost i almost want to say staining i mean staining is not quite the yeah. right word because stain I, is a certain level of permanence which is a whole other thing with watercolors too but um but yeah like it, it the the pigment like the binder is like water soluble and it carries this really finely ground pigments into the yeah. into the paper fibers and and that's kind of why watercolor doesn't have that like that three-dimensional texture that you get with other paints right where the paint right. is like this this medium that is pigment bound that is going to dry like a glue or a you know something that's going to dry hard on the on the surface yeah. of the painting on the surface of the material whatever you're painting so mm-hmm. but do you so what kind of watercolor paper do you use do you use like hot press or cold press and do you use like stuff with a lot of rag in it or not so much so i tried a couple of different things um mm-hmm. i started uh the first thing i did once i so what i did was first i was like oh i'm coloring in the uh, the tomo a river um mm-hmm paper and that's not watercolor paper and it's certainly not something that you can use to get the kind of effects that one might do with traditional watercoloring so i bought some paper and i just got um i got some cold pressed water paper and the difference between cold press and hot press is cold press has very it's much more textured um Mm -hmm. hot press is smoother and so i got some cold pressed water paper um and it's the 300 gram um per meter or whatever it is which is sort of it's pretty thick it's like yeah that's pretty heavy but that's really all you can get like you can get cheaper papers but they're harder to find because Mm. um as i've discovered uh it seems like what's happened is that um you know 
influencers, people who post about and talk about papers have decided and said, oh, this is the best kind of paper to use. And so ah. then people buy up the 300 and that's what they're marketing towards. And so now it's harder to find the lighter, oh. cheaper paper, which is a bummer because the lighter, cheaper paper is cheaper. And if you, um, if so I, the reason people like the thicker paper is it warps less. Mm -hmm. um, but if you tape down your side, if you first, if you wet your paper first, tape it down and then let it dry, um, it doesn't matter that it's thinner paper. Like it won't warp as yes. much. It's always right. going to warp a little bit, but that's okay. I mean, that's the nature of like water and paper. Um, yeah. So if I could find it, my, so in the end, I, I found some paper I like, which is, um, some, uh, five by seven, pre-cut five by seven hot pressed paper yep mm -hmm. i'd get it thinner if i could i like the hot pressed because it's still textured but it's not quite as intense and since i'm doing and so i cut that um five by seven up into four sheets of um basically what is that two and a half by three and a half um that sounds right yeah so and that makes those tiny little cards which i've been showing you um and then that's I tape, great and then i tape one of those down and paint on there um, and it's great because I it, I end up doing a lot of paintings like I'm kind of just cycling through like you're doing like an art study like trying to kind of refine your technique and learn about the nature and quality of the paint. And so yeah. as much as I ended up buying like um, I bought a, a tube. I bought some watercolor paints, some Cotman, which are the student grade yep. um, watercolor paints from Windsor and Newton. They seem great and fine. Yeah, and I got nice. a set there. There was a set for about 18 bucks of six colors on um amazon and mm -hmm. i wanted to buy them at blix but they advertised them for 19 dollars. but when i went to the store they wanted to charge me 26 so i said okay never mind and i bought them on amazon so yeah um anyway uh yeah so that's my point was just that so i have those i have those tubes and as i said i've been using those to um i when i graduated from my prang watercolor set which i still actually have <laughs> right. um, and i use the prang to color in the notebook that's so well, smart. It has a wide variety of colors really yes. quickly. Um, and then I've just been painting those tiny little paintings on the on the hot pressed. Um, if I can find, I saw some paper that is a lighter weight. I think it's like 150. It's like half the weight um, mm -hmm. that I'd like to get. Oh, also I get 100% um, cotton just because somebody said that was good. And I have, um, I had some. Uh, lighter weight, like thirty percent cotton fibers, uh -huh. yeah. um, and it's it's okay, but um, definitely the cotton one works better. Like it yeah. takes the paint better somehow. I I don't. It's hard to describe. Like it just kind of. Sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. the The paint just looks more pleasant on it somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I understand. I should. Uh, we have these really great art stores around here. I should go to one and like get big sheets of watercolor paper and roll them up in a tube and send them to you that'd be fun yeah you yeah have, you have very um i mean also like the smaller if they if it's cheaper for smaller flats that's fun but if that's the size they come in that's great you could also cut them up and mail them to me um, that's true i could cut them up because yeah. i i was thinking after you told me that that's what you were doing i was like man i should do that yeah because i can get some like really interesting presses and fiber contents yeah. at some of the stores around here and mm -hmm. um like there's one in saint paul that we just drove past the other day called wet paint and they their whole deal is just like an independent art store and they have 
everything. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. They have some brushes there for painting and watercolor that are basically like really fancy mops. So you can do <laughs> like awesome. massive yes. washes and uh-huh. stuff on that's huge. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They have, they, they have things that kind of like you go in there and it's just so far outside of the normal margins of what's available at, at even yeah. like some you know, like chain art stores and stuff. It's like, oh my God, this stuff is amazing. You know, (laughs) I think one thing that I found interesting about watercolor paint um, versus other paints is that you cannot get it in large quantities. It all comes in very tiny little tubes. Like, like no one does large scale watercolor. Yeah. And I can kind of see why, because I think, I think at some point watercolor, like, its charm and its loveliness is sort of in the detail of it, right? Like, yeah. I think a lot of people talk about why they like certain papers because it gives it this texture. And if you're if you're painting a like a five foot by five foot surface mm-hmm. to get the image, you're going to have to stand back, and at that point, you're not going to see the texture of the paper or anything. And now it's a different kind of experience potentially. Yeah, that's I had never really thought about that, like. If you make the painting so large, does the fact that the pigment that's suspended in the binder and in the water lose its effect? I mean, I think you lose a little bit of the nature of the watercolor. Yeah. Um, and you might prefer or might as well be using like tempura or some other kind of um, paint that is... Gouache. Yeah, gouache. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> it's like so closely spelled to gauche but it's not it's gouache. right <laughs> it's basically like watercolor paint but like opaque yeah. right yeah. yeah so my understanding of the difference between um watercolors and gouache is really just the pigment particle size okay and so um so typically water paints are very translucent um, yeah. which is to say like they don't cover so if you draw a black line on a piece of paper and you paint over it with watercolor you're going to see that black line pretty intensely whereas if you use something like gouache you can paint over that line and it's going to disappear under the pigment Mm -hmm. um, because the pigment size is larger particle yeah i think that's my understanding i mean they also use different binders and and different medium to carry the pigment and do that but they are water-based um so is tempura but tempura yeah i think um I've been trying to understand what the difference is between tempura, gouache, and watercolor. Um, the only real difference I could find was particle size of the pigment in watercolor. Did um, tempura have egg in it? Traditionally, yes. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and tempura is T E M P E A R. Sorry, T E M P E R A. Yeah. Um, and tempura paint is um, also known as egg tempera is a permanent fast drying painting medium consisting of color pigments mixed with a water soluble binder medium, usually glutinous materials such as egg yolk. Ah. Um, uh, so tempura also refer this is so this is from the It's Wikipedia weird that they say glutinous because there's no gluten in egg yolk. Well, so the thing about glutinous is uh, it's so gluten is a kind of a weird misnomer. So glutinous means like a glue in texture and sticky oh. as a general word. Um, oh. And so gluten uh, 
the problem so wheat with, gluten is named after something that is glutinous, perhaps. Well, also gluten, G L U T I T I N is um is how it's so glutinous, G L U T I N O U S is the sort of gluey texture. Gluten uh with an E at the end, like G L U T E N is the um is the sort of wheat gluten thing. But the other thing about wheat gluten is that um, gluten is, uh, it's a structural protein um, that it often refers to wheat proteins, Mm -hmm. but typically uh, it's typically, I believe it's a, it's a protein that's formed in the presence of water and several grains are able to form this protein. Like it's like, I think wheat doesn't have gluten. It has these other proteins. And then when you make flour and you put it in water, it forms wheat gluten. Um, okay. Yeah. I believe that's correct. It's been a while. I'll buy but, that. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, there's gluten. Like it's, I mean, if we're going to talk about like the health side of gluten, which I'm not fully prepared for, but um <laughs> There are anyone? like no like part of the problem is like in when we're talking in like sort of layman's terms when we're using the word gluten um it's this broad wide variety of different sort of proteins um but typically people usually mean wheat gluten and then when we mean wheat gluten there's actually more specific proteins and um there's a whole collection of gluten peptides that are typically um related to the disorders like um celiac celiac yeah gotcha exactly yeah oh that what a strange rabbit hole we just went down yes uh anyway glutinous in terms of glue like yes uh material such as egg yolk uh so tempura um yeah so tempura is typically like pigments bound in egg yolk that's like the traditional and so it is water soluble okay um but uh and then so gouache um is does gouache work like wall paint where you start with a bucket of white and you add pigment to it to get to the color that you actually want wait say that again so you know how when you paint your walls it doesn't matter what color your wall ends up you start with a bucket of white paint oh and then you have them mix in pigment at the store and then what you apply to your wall is a colored paint, but it starts out as a white base. Right. So, so is that what gouache is like too? Uh, well, in that case, you're talking about um, like that's because that's because of the technology they're using to match paints, um, and so they've come up with it. Like, there's still white. Pigment sure, but that's in the what paint. makes it opaque too. Oh well, it, it's certainly possible, but I think with gouache, what makes it opaque is depends on the. Um, I mean, I'm. I don't know. I'm reading about it right now. So yeah. Um, so gouache, according to Wikipedia, uh, so gouache body color or opaque watercolor is a water medium paint consisting of natural pigment, water, a binding, a binding agent like gum, ar- gum arabic, or dextrin, which is incidentally the same as what's used in watercolors, and uh-huh. sometimes additional inert material. Um, gouache is designed to be opaque. So I think, I believe that really the whole thing about gouache is just watercolor, but opaque. It's like you're, I'm doing watercolor, but I'm opaque. Yeah, uh, but I'm, why is it opaque and watercolor is not yeah. opaque? So um, let me get to that. So oh. uh, 
I, I, the reason it's opaque is that the, the pigment is larger poly- particles. Like, so they're just like crammed wa- in there. Well, it's not so much crammed in there. It's like, okay, so if you have, if you have blue mm-hmm. and you have some blue pigment, um, uh-huh. and I, we, the material doesn't matter, but the size of the pigment. So, like, let's say it's like a piece of chalk. Like blue chalk, okay. just yeah. for visual, that's not what it is, but it's a piece of blue chalk. So if you smash that up um, into uh, small little round balls of blue, yeah, um, and you suspend that in uh, in your gum arabic, or you know, in this case we're yeah. using gum arabic, then sure. um, and you paint that. Depending on the size of the particles, they will either behave opaquely, which is that you'll get better coverage, or if they're really really small, they'll begin to be spread more transparent out. and it's not yeah. so much spread out i get yeah i guess it's just they let more like they'll go down deeper in the fibers or something um but well, my understanding sense. well no i mean it's like if you think about it like if you're talking about a surface of a piece of paper um the larger poly- particles are going to sit on the top uh sure okay and the smaller particles are going to seep further down into the paper yeah, but like if you soak up something with a paper towel, you're kind of talking about the same thing. It's still going to color the paper towel. Yeah, they both color the paper. It's just one of them is more opaque. Gouache is more opaque. It sits more higher on the surface of the paper. Hmm. It doesn't get transferred as deep into the paper as water as other watercolor as transparent watercolors. Okay. I mean <laughs> That sounds like such a um, Sad explanation. Okay. I well, to here's be more a description. Than that. Okay. It says gouache paint is, this is according to Wikipedia article as of February 3rd, 2023. Gouache paint is similar to watercolor, but is modified to make it opaque, just as in watercolor, the binding agent traditionally being, uh, has traditionally been gum Arabic, but since the late 19th century, cheaper vari- uh, varieties use yellow dextrin. Um, when the paint is sold as paste, e.g. in tubes, the dextrin has usually been mixed with an equal volume of water to improve the adhesive and hydroscopic qualities of the paint as well as the flexibility. This does not get into... Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Gouache differs from watercolor in that the particles are typically larger. The ratio of pigment to binder is much higher. So Aha! larger and more of it. Okay. Um, so there is more crammed in there. And and an additional white filler such as chalk, Aha! aka a body, may be part of the paint. So, so yes, there, it is. Yes, yeah. the white is the the thing that makes it opaque. Yeah. And the and the size of the particle and the volume of particles in relationship or ratio to binder is higher in a gouache. Yeah. So, okay, that makes more sense to me. So I think also I think as I read this. Um, because a body such as chalk or something may be part of the paint, I think uh-huh. this will have a lot to do with just the pig- the nature of the pigment. Sure. So some watercolors are more opaque than others just because of the nature of the pigment. Right. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I wonder if, like, certain brands, like, become obsessed with these sorts of things. You know what I mean? Like, like is there a brand that's, like, the more opaque watercolor brand? Or, like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. Yeah. People get upset. Like, people people become experts on some, like, very rabbit holy things. And then they Absolutely. produce very rabbit holy products to go with the obsessions. <laughs> they do. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I just... 
think there's so it's so cool how much variation there is in like art materials. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's fantastic. It's really interesting. Um, I think we would be uh I would be um I was going to say disappointment. I don't know what the word is. I would be, mm. I, I think we definitely need to mention some of the things about watercolor um, that's very interesting or it was interesting yes. to me. So um, if you're not familiar, uh, but hopefully you've heard of the idea of or what an illuminated manuscript is. So oh, yes. I actually learned about these pretty late in life. I'd never heard. I mean, I knew of them, but I'd never heard the, ta- the name illuminated manuscript. Um, an illuminated manuscript is a formally prepared document where the text is often supplemented with flourishes such as borders, miniature illustrations. Um, mm-hmm. The most common or often used form of it is in the Roman Catholic Church for prayers, liturgical services, and psalms. The practice continued into secular texts from the 13th century onward and typically include proclamations, enrolled bills, laws, charters, inventories, and deeds. Um some Islamic manuscripts can also be illuminated um, and use essentially the same techniques. Um, this is all basically I'm cribbing my notes from Wikipedia. Um, sure. But uh, the so paper. So one of the reasons that they were done in watercolor is that um, watercolor, once it dries, the paper can remain flexible and it won't damage the image. Ah, so right. Can, like you, yeah, yeah. If you transport paintings, you can't like bend them or right. well, uh, crease them, them a, because it can break the paint if it's a paint like acrylic or, yeah. or oil. And so but if, you're, yeah. if you're illuminating a book and you're mm-hmm. you're writing this this manuscript and then you're writing in a book, the pages need to be able to f- sort of bend and to, fold. Yeah, and flex. And move. Yeah, they need to be able to flex. And so um, watercolors were traditionally used for that context as well right they don't crack that yep. makes so much sense yep i mean what you're doing with your dungeon 23 it's, stuff is basically an illuminated uh, manuscript yeah, exactly yeah it's yeah an illuminated manuscript yeah it's, it's some text with some colored i have always been very captivated by like the the texts that start with like a big letter in a block in a frame that has a tiny little picture around the letter yeah like many medieval manuscripts did that a lot Yes. Yeah. It's really interesting. It's like, you know, like the, the start of a chapter begins with like, uh, you know, the letter G that is like, you know, 15 lines high and, mm-hmm. you know, fills half the page and, you know, has yeah. some vines growing on it or something. Or Exactly. Yeah, I was thinking just, vines, too. That's so funny. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I love that. And obviously, there's some kind of archetype with G's and vines that we're both tapping into. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Can't be anything else. Can't be anything else. Nope. I have loved those, uh, any book that's written by hand, which, uh, like you said, often turns out to be like religious texts. Yes. Um, yep. Which don't interest me particularly, but I like the artwork. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same. Yeah. I think it, I think it's fascinating. Um well, I mean, it's it would like, be fun to go back and just take stories that we like or books that we like and redo them by hand with an illuminated manuscript. I, this has been done. People do so. Like, there's um, so one of the artists that oh, what is his name? So um, there is an artist who uh, he did a bunch of the a bunch of really interesting artwork watercolor i think and pen mm-hmm. and ink um and he did some like fairy tales and he was um 
see if I can find. Um, there's like a very famous artist. Let me see if I can find. Hmm. One of my favorite types of watercolor is um, landscape, like Japanese landscape paintings. Uh, yes. Where the, you use just black ink, like gradients of black to do mm -hmm. like mountaintops and like cascading features uh, yes. or like animals. And there, are, those are very impressionistic too because it's just a series of brush strokes and you're like, oh, that's a goldfish. <laughs> what? <laughs> right. Oh man. Um, hold on. I, okay. I, I've got to find, I mean, don't hold on. You should keep talking. <laughs> people are uh, like, what the a fuck? A friend of mine gave me a really cool book. Hang on a sec. I can tell you about it. Um, okay. it's, uh, it's an Oriental painting book. That's what it's called. Uh, it's an like course on Oriental painting. Let me see here. Hang on. Okay. Whoops, that was probably pretty loud. Um, uh, that's all right. Well, someone will have to just live with it. So this is a structured practical guide to the skills and techniques of China and the Far East. So I think there is some Japanese stuff in here, but I guess mostly it's Chinese. My mistake. Um, it's beautiful because it talks about you use these lovely little um, sticks that hold the pigment and they have... Um, it's they're little glue sticks, so they're solid, and you grind them against a little piece of slate. Oh, mm -hmm. And there's this tiny little bowl of water with a tiny spoon, and you spoon small amounts of water into this little bowl as you go. And um, they talk about in the book, they talk about technique for calligraphy and how you never let your wrist rest on the table like your arm is up the whole time you're holding the brush. And there's a proper technique for how to hold the brush when you. Um, use it so that you're correctly angling the bristles against the page. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed this um, book because it's easy to follow. Like they're the way that they describe in words, how you're supposed to be using the inks and how to conceptualize the actual painting. It's really cool. Like they have a whole chapter getting used to ink and how to grind the ink up to achieve the desired opacity and how to use and incorporate color um, into like landscapes, for example. Um, and it's just fascinating. They have all kinds of instructions about how to paint wildlife and flowers. They have um, a descriptions about the different types of brushes and for example, the different types of animal furs that make up the bristles like squirrel or um, like sable or mink or um i mean there's all kinds like i've heard of people using cat and dog fur which obviously in those cases you can harvest without killing a cat or a dog sure brush them. yeah i mean um, yeah there's definitely ways to but like oftentimes like when you're using like a sable watercolor brush or something it's like it means yeah it? yeah Somebody. That poor critter, critter's yeah. no longer alive. So yeah, they have um, landscapes, rivers and waterfalls, mountaintops, um, animals, perspective. So it's this really beautiful book. And of course, every page has many, 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 many examples of um, these beautiful watercolor paintings. So they're not only are you learning the technique, but you're also getting this like survey of 
all sorts of different techniques and the range of um, end results that you can achieve using the same materials and the same brushes is like phenomenal. I mean, there's just so many things you can do with it. So that's a type, a style of watercolor that I appreciate really, really greatly. But of course, for um, obvious reasons, I don't know that much about it because I was not raised in a culture that utilizes this style. Um, mm -hmm. But I, this is one of my favorite books that I own because I feel like it's so practical and so useful and tells you so many things. Um, it's such a lovely survey of art. Mm -hmm. and so instructive um so yeah i don't know what did you did you find your guy no i'm still uh wait actually yes uh okay arthur rackham arthur rackham yeah so how do you spell his name uh so you spell his last name r-a-c-k-h-a-m huh. and uh the reason that i mentioned him um is that he uh, so Arthur Rackham was born in uh, September of 1867, and he died in 1939, um, September of 1939. Mm. So uh, that's a very, just like, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah uh, so he, um, he did, uh, his kind of turning point in artwork was that he did 51 color pieces for the early American tale Rip Van Winkle. Um, oh, and so his uh the reason i mentioned this is you were talking about like taking an existing work and like doing an illuminated manuscript version of it um in many ways this is kind of his a lot of his notable work is that way so like he did aesop's fables um, 13 oh, color yes. plates 82 line pieces um for the 1912 version of aesop fables um uh let's see so um, I know I have seen that art. I am sure you have. And uh, he did uh, Mother Goose, the old nursery rhymes by Charles mm -hmm. uh, Perrot, uh, which included 13 color plates. Um, I think I had those books when I was a kid. It's certainly possible. I mean, many of these books are quite old. So, um, yeah, like you, it, it's, he did The Tempest by William Shakespeare in 1926. Um, his artwork is... Um, pretty fantastical it's uh it's oftentimes like pen and ink with watercolor um or other kind of coloring uh which i'm trying to see if there's a better yeah here we go here's the technique so um his his illustrations were chiefly based on robust pen and india ink drawings ah um so uh his own unique perspective line uh oh per so he perfected his own unique expressive line from his background in journalistic illustration paired mm. with subtle use of watercolor a technique which he had he was able to exploit due to technological developments in photographic reproduction so oh. like he you know he was working he was a working illustrator and mm -hmm. at that time as his career was progressing um they were become becoming able to reproduce color prints that was not something they I did before. I see. Yes. And so and not not on the level like, you know, they before they would do like four color prints or whatever, but that's not mm -hmm. the same as like reproducing like the subtleties of like a watercolor painting because he had these beautiful gradients and um his Aww. artwork is like very um so there's a movie called um uh, 
there is a movie called The Return of the King, which is the 1980 animation film um, that was uh, based on The Hobbit um, Mm -hmm. and The Return of the King. And it was um, directed by uh, uh, Jules Bass and Arthur Rankin Jr. Okay. Um, Anyway, it's art style uh, was, I believe, influenced by um, Rackham, or maybe it's, maybe it's not that movie. It could be, um, it could be Lord of the Rings, the 1978 film. Um, Yeah, I remember that from being a kid. Yeah. um, I I can't remember where I read it, but anyway, I became very interested in that art style and that, um, and if you if you've ever watched it, like the film is, I think it didn't get a, it wasn't that popular, but I think it's this amazing work of art. Like I do too. Yeah. Um, it really holds up. <laughs> yeah, it really holds up. Um, the uh, I was gonna look and see um, the studio. So uh, there's a f- let's see. So um, there's Studio Ghibli. I'm sure people are familiar with Ooh, does a, yeah. does a lot of animation stuff. Like people um My neighbor Totoro, yeah. Howl's Moving Castle, Ponyo, exactly. yeah. uh um uh what's the one with the girl who's spirited away? Spirited um, away, yep. Yeah, they do great stuff. I love their movies. Kiki's delivery service. Kiki's delivery service, yeah. Um so their predecessor predecessor was this studio called Topcraft. Um and uh which which they produced Nausicaa Valley of the Wind mm. um, and I believe they also they also worked on the return of the king okay that like um, totally fits stylistically yeah and so they actually did quite a lot of um a lot of collaborations with the Rankin Bass sort of production company. Okay. Um, they also worked on the Hobbit from that same, from 1977, yep. the Hobbit. Um, and then uh, return of the King, which was the one we were talking about. Those two, those art that art style of like, um, they worked on the last unicorn. Mm, I love that movie. Yes. Yeah, that movie is like so um, culturally significant to like a tiny little time and circle of time and place. Uh-huh. Like America does the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> yes, right. like the whole soundtrack, and like Jeff Bridges and Mia Farrow are the like main characters. Like what? Yeah, I just... loved that movie when I was growing up. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah, I still do. Yeah, it's a it was an amazing film. It's uh, it's very sad. Um, but it's, oh, it's really totally cool. sad. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. It's all about belonging and not belonging. Yeah. Um, the, I love that in like studio Ghibli and like in the, um, the, um, top craft movies, like they, they, the heavy use of watercolor as the background to like the, 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 um, overlaid animation of the characters, like the active animation characters, yeah. which is like a different style of painting, which makes it stand out against the background. But, right. um, I think possibly the reason that I appreciated the aesthetics of those movies so much as a little kid in ways that I can 
like talk about now but couldn't then is the the use of the watercolor it lends it creates a a certain vibe and a feel that i really appreciate yeah yeah i i really like so if if you haven't seen um the return of the king the 1980 film or um the hobbit the 1977 film um animations uh you can get clips of it on YouTube or something on the mm-hmm. internet. Like I, you know, if you're into it, watch the whole thing. Absolutely. But um, if, even if you're not definitely go look and have a look at the, like the art style we're talking about. Cause I feel like um, it really, to me, that was Lord of the Rings. Like it was, yeah. the it was the Tolkien esque, like sort of dark and vibrant, but like also these really like, like, grimy feels when they were doing the goblins um and the you know the darkness of it and the way that they were able to like really give this like um like this warmth to things too like the tones everything because the colors aren't uh it's not like it's not this like solid filled in like watercolor that's the other thing is like Mm -hmm. you get these like subtle gradients or you can yeah. Um, you don't always, but like in the way the colors mix where they kind of like two colors meet and kind of form a little bit of a gray gradient between them or, um, mm-hmm. you know, some third color because it's, you know, like a green between the yellow and the blue borders. And, yeah. Um, and a good artist can control that and create these beautiful, subtle gradients like all over the image and then also still convey like all the coloring and everything. And Yeah. yeah so I like um, a lot of... Um, like animated manga that I've seen also uses watercolors in the backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now that I think about it, yeah, I don't know any of the studios by name that produce that kind of stuff, but um, not totally dissimilar dissimilar visually from what Studio Ghibli does. Right, right. Yeah. I like that artwork a lot. Now I need to go watch some Studio Ghibli. Oh, Princess Mononoke was another one. Yep, yep. Um lest we omit any that are important. <laughs> I was thinking while we were talking about this that yes. um uh the uh we started watching a new TV show that I was going to complain about and talk about the oh, background yeah. the backgrounds of it, but uh-huh. I don't know if I should get into it or if it's going to take up so much time that we should save it for another whole episode. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Yeah. I mean, we're <laughs> we're definitely reaching the end of this episode, so well and what made me think of it was that um well we shouldn't tease it though so what is the give us the synopsis and then we can record a new one and yeah the synopsis is that um we what's the name of the show (laughs) that zombie show oh the last of us i asked oh yes i I asked damon so it's on hbo yep um it's the last of us and it's based off of a video game just like the silent hill movie was and like yeah i recently watched the first episode of it okay so i have a lot of problems with this and with zombie movies in in general as a genre and so i thought oh well because this is inevitably going to lead to lead to the discussion of the problems that i have with zombie movies and why i cannot suspend my disbelief in most cases with the exception of one so far we can get into that too um that's why we should save for a separate episode but uh i feel like in 
I feel like there's a lot of crossover between like the background art in manga and like the Ghibli films and like cartoons and cartoons which lead into sort of like I don't know video games and like video game design and the the backgrounds that are used in video games and how like this show that we're watching seems to me like if I it seems very um, translational in terms of like you okay you can tell that it started out as a video game because of yes. how it looks yes and yep. because of like the plot that they're Agreed. following in yep. the movie or in the TV show. And I was just thinking like when I picture that show that we just watched, I picture it kind of with like backgrounds that would lend themselves very well to watercolor paintings because you want to give the impression of like decay and stuff like that. Like we were talking about with the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit and the return yeah. of the King. Like there's something th like profoundly grimy about some of the effects that you can get with watercolor. And I was thinking, Oh, that would be if you did any like stills or like fan art of this zombie show, you could do some really fancy stuff with watercolor with the large sweeping landscapes and like the yeah. buildings falling down into each other in the background and stuff yeah and but then immediately i was taken out of my reverie by the fact that i'm like but but this doesn't make any sense in this particular show and then i was yeah. like save it for the other episode so that's right, where i'm right. at with that gotcha <laughs> And I basically just, we had breakfast today and we had this whole yeah. conversation about like the different types of the different iterations of zombie films and what makes them more or less believable or enjoyable or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why that's my next topic. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in <laughs> no. for sure. Cause I have, yeah. I also have uh, strong opinions um, about that. Uh, yeah. Having only watched the first episode. So nice yeah. yeah we made it through episode two and then i fell asleep on the couch and then i had my like standard recurring nightmare all night long oh, no. where you and i are at some work thing that we're not getting paid for there are way too many people there we're at some like building we can't get out of that resembles a mall maybe or uh -huh. like a very large casino style hotel or something yeah. like that and we're just trapped in there somebody peed in my suitcase this time which for a number <laughs> of activities we've done together could have been entirely plausible in real life yes. so still pretty realistic but oh. Nonetheless, very annoying. And I haven't had that dream that, in a long time. As soon as you said somebody peed in your suitcase, I was just yeah. having like this deja vu moment where I was like, oh man, this sounds so familiar. Like recently <laughs> I had some thought about this and it was definitely connected with you. Not that you're a suitcase peer, but like <laughs> like you and I like in the absurdity of like that kind of scenario, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... And of course, like there was some big long explanation yeah. attached to like the yeah. peeing in the suitcase incident. And like then we had to move to a new room for some reason. <laughs> and like, but I mean, there were like six or eight of us in this room. Uh -huh. Like it wasn't just you and me. Like Damon was there. Um, yeah. Like a bunch of other people we know were roped into this too. And so we we all had to pack up our shit and move to a new room. But we couldn't do that because half of our stuff was missing. And it's like, who's been going through our stuff? <laughs> and like, <laughs> And they were just like everything had its own series of roadblocks attached uh -huh. to it. Uh -huh. It was just like the whole dream. This is what makes it so nightmarish. Everything in that dream, even though the details change from night to night, the theme is always a workaround for a workaround for a workaround for a workaround uh -huh. for a workaround. Yes. And you're just like, yeah. God, when does it end? Like, can we not just accomplish something here or get out of here? Like, just we're prevented from leaving when we want to leave because there's 60 million things that we need to do first in order to be able to leave and we can't get any of them done <laughs> right. because of other people. Right. Right. <laughs> Who peed in my suitcase? Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> oh god so yeah anyway zombie films oh that's, that's, our, so funny. that's our next one yeah um oh man um well i have some like end of the uh end of the episode snacks i don't know if they're designed <gasps> snacks just Do some tell. like tips tips for i don't know some some things to highlight so um one thing is speaking of absurdity and if you at all enjoy um the humor that meg and i enjoy or think you might be interested in something i i think you'll agree uh, <laughs> so i sent you that video the other day um by this uh australian news satire television yeah! program called, it's called clark and daw yes and that's uh c-l-a-r-k-e ampersand d-a-w-e and a lot of their there's a lot of clips from their show on youtube um and the particular one that i sent you was called the front fell off yes and it's uh it's just it's sort of like you know two white men in suits like one of them being interviewed like you would in interview like a um, like do us like you'd see in the news like a special interest segment where they're going to ask some hard hitting questions of like some you know ex like expert or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and the front fell off one is I'm not going to ruin it for people too much, but it's basically this absurd sort of uh, take on um, on someone kind of answering for like you know a uh, oil tanker creating a disaster like a fucking you know, environmental disaster in the yes. in the environment um and just the absurdity of the answers and how both you and i watched this and i think uh we both it took because i didn't know anything about it and it just showed up on my mm -hmm. youtube feed mm -hmm. i couldn't i wasn't sure if it was real or not Right, Until, if this was actually some oil executive that was doing a bad job of apologizing for causing a disaster through negligence. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or doing a good job of being an apologist. Like, just, anyway. Yes. Um, or a terrible, anyway. It, it like, it, towards the middle, I was like, nope, this is too absurd. But also, the absurdity. Very like, convincing. Very convincing, like, well into the skit. Um, mm -hmm. Before I was like, oh, yeah, no, this can't be. Yep. Well, God, if this is real, I mean, that's part of the problem, right? Like the era that we live yeah. in now where you're just like, I can't believe somebody would say that in all earnest and seriousness. And they do. And they continue to say weird shit. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. That's, it's delightful. I yeah. also thought, I thought that you had found something that you were like, look at these absurd people. And so for, <laughs> I thought they were like actual. Yes like real life representatives of like a news agency and like Fooled you. Uh, yeah you totally did I mean, but not, that just I, like speaks yeah. to what you're saying that like it was a very difficult i don't know it's a chicken and egg scenario right like <laughs> our times right now so absurd that by comparison they make that satire look not as absurd as it would have right. if we had viewed it 12 years ago yeah like 12 years ago, we probably would have realized contextually that it was totally absurdist humor. Right. But now right. it is not as absurd as it would have been 12 years ago. Right. <laughs> and it's not so easily discerned as absurdity. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it was, I mean, if you had told me like, prepare to be outraged at this like <laughs> slippery oil executive i'd be like i would have been hook line and sinker the whole time i wouldn't uh -huh. i wouldn't have even questioned whether it was real or not until right. i came back to you to like scream about it in all caps over a chat and then you'd be like just kidding that was satire and i'd be like oh you got me but i would not have known <laughs> <I> mean, 
<laughs> I laughed really hard a couple of times. When I like belly laughed one time, I was like, yeah. I think that might have been what clued me. And I'm like, this guy's fucking funny. I wonder if this is supposed to be funny. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's the it's the like anger inducing sort of absurdity of it where it's just like with a straight face he's like nope that's the way it goes and you're just like what right and like the interviewer is like well isn't there a lot of like rigorous engineering that goes into building these boats yes but not this one because this one the front fell off well of course because the front fell off (laughs) that's great yeah it's very funny i reckon yeah anyone who's listening they are totally worth looking up they're very funny all right. It kind of like the pacing yeah. of it and the delivery of it reminded me of who's on first a little bit too. Yes. Yes. It feels that way. Cause it's like the maddening chase around of like miscommunication that's happening. Yeah. And it like, feels, and you're just getting angrier and angrier at like, no, you're purposely misunderstanding this. Right. It feels, it starts to feel like an argument of like a semantics <laughs> argument, yes. except that's not quite right. Cause right. I know what semantics I is mean, and it's not that, but the, close. The, oil, <laughs> the, the faux oil executive is, is very much just like, well, duh, like you're an idiot. No, it is that way. And then he keeps doubling down on his absurdist answers. Right. Yeah. It's weird. It's he like aggressively agrees with the person who's trying to hold him accountable for doing <laughs> yes. something fucked up. And yes. it's very disarming to the person who's doing right. it. Like, yes. right. It's, yes. it's really it really captures like the true like the, what we see in the news now, mm-hmm. even though, you know, it's a it's a fantastical story. Well, not fantastical, but it's a fantasy. Um, yeah how old is it when was that made do you know i think that that episode or that clip is like 14 years ago or something like late to that like early 2000s oh my god okay so like in other words that's kind of the time frame that i was like guesstimating it would have been funny back then as an obvious humor piece and not as like just like I think when when this sort of started, the weirdness started for me about oh, when sa- no. when you're like, is this satire or not? What? No, this is even so. Their original release was from 1988 to 2017. Is there? So that could have been. So like it the says Reagan. in 2000, the program reemerged as part of the 7:30 report on ABC TV. Um, oh. So. So like. Yeah, it could have been. Um, it was on air, a current affair on the Nine Network, where the program would continue to air for eight years until 1996. So from 1980, 1989 to 1996, it did a bunch of episodes. Oh. I don't know. Um, oh, The Front Fell Off featuring Clark as Australian po- politician Bob Collins on the topic of 19, 1991 oil spill. 1991. Okay. Yeah. So that would have been you know had come out in 1991 or 90 you know roughly in that time period yeah um like okay that makes sense yeah yeah it still would have been hilarious yeah no it would have been hilarious obviously hilarious yeah Yeah. um the the where shit kind of went off the rails for me in terms of like satire especially political satire was when like Tina Fey dressed up as Sarah Palin and just said things that Sarah Palin actually said. Yes. Yep. And then it was like comedy because of who was delivering it, not because of like, the content. I, yeah. it was like, holy shit. You don't even have to like make fun of her. She just makes fun of herself. Yep. Yeah. It was incredible. That was like a weird turning point, I think. Yep. 
when it's like we we now have people who are such character caricatures right that you don't even have to make fun of them the the jokes just write themselves i it this is the thing in politics that at least in american politics that confuses me a little bit is like how that trend continues where like i you know i don't um particularly like like biden as a president presidential candidate i mean right. it's one of those like better than the alternative um oh, you know and 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 there's certainly things he's gonna do that i'll be like that's great i'm glad that happened and there's things he's gonna do that i'm gonna be like fuck that bullshit but, yeah um but my thing is like and like he's gonna say stupid shit he's a fucking old white man um <laughs> and i'm not excusing that like i'm not trying to say that's an excuse i'm just saying that is that's I, a feature of the that's model a feature of the model as it exists and it's like and what makes me nuts is it's like, why, why are we trending more? Like, it's like, you know, people are like, oh yeah, but Trump, who I'm just like, oh yeah, it's even more of the worst side of Biden, right? Like, it's not like better in any way. Like, well, that's not my point. My point is like on a scale, <laughs> my point is like on a scale, it's like, it's just the trend is like more and more the Palin and the Trump and the like fantastical, like the last time I saw like a clip of a Trump speech, I was like, this guy does, like, I thought he didn't speak in comprehensible, comprehensible English before. Yeah. Like now it's just like the guy's just a rambling, just making shit up as he goes. And that's yeah. fine. Like lots of people are, but like not as a politician. Like these are our policymakers who are getting elected. Right. Like what? Like where's yeah. the like, you know, back swing back towards like, I want someone who is smarter than me and and knows better and fucking better read and like Well, you know. I mean like they didn't sweep the midterms like they thought they would and my no. state is like pounding through all kinds of shit that they didn't have the wherewithal to pound through before things like Roe were taken away. Right. And I'm hopeful. I'm yeah. hopeful that that's going to be the case and you know, but also I'm just like god like how Yeah. Like if I fuck up, like if I sound like a fucking idiot in my job interview, I don't get hired. Right. When somebody asks me like the hard questions in the job interview and I don't know the answers and I fuck it up, like I don't get hired to that job. Yeah. Uh, For the most part, I mean, apparently that's not totally the nature of things, though. Apparently, like a you know, just being a fucking middle-aged white man helps a lot. It does, I think. Still, yeah. yeah. Mo I oh, think yeah, it's the I mean, thing that sure. counts the most, probably still. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's and, and that's kind of one of the things, right? It's like I don't have to say smart shit; I just have to not say dumb shit. Right. Yes, you. Th that is an interesting conceptualization of the problem. Everybody else is made to positively assert that they deserve and have earned a place, whereas with that, the the demographic of like white guys in america who are somewhere around middle ages like you just have to not fuck up and you get like the red carpet rolled out for you in fact you can fuck up and if you're like pre enough about it you can waltz your way right out of it again right. yeah. yeah um i was gonna say something and now i fucking forgot what it was sorry but was... no that's all right i don't remember the white man was talking everybody shut up and listen everybody shut up and listen <laughs> can i tell you this like yeah the other day well i don't i'll just believe it okay here's the like the tail end of the real treats at the end of a um podcast so i'm i am out on this date with my partner and um, uh -huh. and we're eating at this diner and uh i like 
I was just kind of out of it. And like, I wasn't really picking up on the fact that she was feeling like it was busy. And uh-huh. so they had finished all, they brought all of our food, we'd eaten it and they brought the check. It was busy. And I was thirsty. And I like, so this is, a, I, before I defend myself, let me tell you the impression that happened, which was, <laughs> I basically was like, you know, this is fine. I'm going to get some more water and we're just going to sit here and I'm going to finish my story. And then, and so my partner sitting across from me is like, like, I, in in hindsight, I can look back in the memory and be like, oh, she like kind of settled in. And yeah. then, but the thing is when I was done with my story, I was like, great, let's go. Even though she was like going to add and had things to say. And I was just kind of a dick who's like, well, the white man's done talking. Now we get to leave. Like nobody else has, gets to talk anymore. Yeah. Um, the reality of course is like, I just was a fucking idiot and not paying attention to any of it. Like I didn't intentionally do that. But, but the impression was very much like, you know, like just shut up partner like now now i'm done talking now we can leave i'm ready to leave why aren't you i'm ready, ready to, to leave, leave now and she'd yeah. been ready to leave for like five minutes and feeling nervous about the fact that we were keeping this table when it was like busy at the diner and people wanted to sit yeah. down and like anyway a hundred percent this exact scenario has happened to me with at least two men that i can think of not yeah. the one who lives with me currently thank goodness yeah well um i felt really bad about it um it's definitely <laughs> it's definitely something i try really hard not to do and i you know, i just i don't I know i just think what. that's a human thing on some it, level yeah i mean on some level it's a human thing but it was very like it becomes yeah. kind of loaded when you're used to <laughs> like because the assumption is that i'm just assuming that this is okay and like yeah. i'm i'm entitled to this like i you know i right. paid my 5 dollars i get to sit here as long as i want like fuck off like <laughs> fuck everybody else like the white man is here now so I'm going to sit here and and enjoy my coffee on the mount. Yeah. Enjoy my coffee. This Um, family establishment. Right. Yes. Supreme court has roundly refused prior restraint. (laughs) Roundly rejected prior restraint. You're doing fine. Yeah. Doing fine. Doing Um, good. Real good. Real good. Anyway, (laughs) that's the long, long winded story of watercolors. Um, I, if you made it this far, um, amazing and also uh listen to our other podcasts you might find some of the other episodes very different um yeah feel free to skim around see if see if you like something um and most importantly oh go ahead you thought of it uh most importantly no i don't i I didn't think of it what were you gonna say oh i don't know you were taking a deep breath like you had a uh i need to tell you in addition to zombies complain about zombies i need to tell you the miraculous story of the frog Okay, yes. So look forward to future episodes and we will talk about the frog. Yep. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, uh, what oh, I was going to say, yeah. email email Dana if you're yes. listening and you want to send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. So D-A-N-A at F-C-B-M dot I-O. Okay, awesome. Do it. Okay, okay. Bye. bye.